Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I'm Subi alongside me, Taylor Dammel. He's back this week. Glad to have him and the Shark. We are a whole. We're a full family yet again. We're brought to you, wait for it, by Belly Up Media. That's right. Got some news for you. We have transitioned, pivoted, moved on from the Barnburner Podcast Network, who have been so great to us, so gracious, wonderful. But uh, we wanted to take the next step, and we are now part of Belly Up Media Group, the podcast network. Very excited to be with Belly Up. Go subscribe. I just want to keep saying belly up, belly up, belly up. I got the belly right here. You want me to belly up right here in front of you guys? I'm excited. I'm excited. Big things happening with Titch. Go subscribe, rate, and review us on whichever device you use. Your college hooper of the week is Ryan Whitman, former forward for Cornell. I don't know if you guys remember Ryan Whitman, but he was a key member of that Sweet 16 team for Cornell. Uh, additionally, a few more nuggets. In Whitman's first collegiate game, he broke Cornell's record for most points in a freshman collegiate opener with 18. And he also finished with three rebounds and two assists. Uh, that game, 64-61 win, road win against Northwestern, was Cornell's first victory against a Big Ten school in 39 years. Last little nugget for you. Do you know who his dad is? His dad is Randy Whitman former NBA coach in NBA circles. Uh, so yeah, your college hooper of the week is Ryan Whitman. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is and make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. All right, fellas. We have moved on now to the Belly Up Podcast Network. Uh, I'm going to welcome you on behalf of them. I know you haven't been in contact with them, but I, I do think we should take a step back and thank the Barnburner Podcast Network for hosting us for so long, but obviously very excited uh, to be joining Belly Up. Taylor, good to have you back. Any thoughts on on this new partnership? Progress is always a positive. That's how I always feel. So uh, you could call it survive in advance, but I feel like that's a little not not as positive as I'd like to be. So, yeah, always got to be matriculating the ball down the field. And that's what I feel like we're doing here. So uh, uh, good good ups to you on that there, Sue, for putting this all together. And thanks for always moving this uh, this thing forward. I like that. Move, moving the ball down the field. We we swore we weren't going to bring football back into this, and yet here we are, Shark. It sounds like you're feeling a lot better. Feel great. Feel great. I, I'll stay with this football metaphor. You got to get positive yards on first down. So we're moving the ball. Good little ch chunk run on first down. And, uh, you know, let's keep the drive going. To go to your – your, I, I've been workshopping in my head how we can play in belly up, be, belly up pancakes, belly milk pancakes. You know how we love buttermilk pancakes when you have a good jump shot. We can workshop that and get that into our lexicon. To go to your college hooper of the week, Ryan Whitman, you didn't bring this up, but that man, that young man, now not a young man, 35 I see, had a jump shot that would make you purr like a walrus. That guy could stroke it. I remember that run that they had, Stevie Donahue run right there as well. So a lot of good reference right there. Welcome to Belly Up Media. Um, hopefully we'll live up to your expectations. Belly milk. We must lead the nation in terms of a podcast in Steve Donahue references per episode. It's got to be. Also, second note, should we change um, Please Sir, I want, to more, want Some More to Get In My Belly? Oh. Kind of same, same wavelength there. You know? Yeah, a little just throwing, Again, I, I know we're workshopping on the fly here, but just throwing that out there. Normally, I'd roll your eyes at you, but I'll tell you what. I was watching football on Sunday. Can't ask for a better commercial channel than the Austin Powers tr uh, trilogy right there. And I had I had that was running all day on TBS, whatever it was. It was perfect to break up Jim Nance, Tony Romo calling that Bills uh, uh, Dolphins game. But yeah, what a what a reviewing of that series right there. Taylor, that's how you make a play on the fly. That was awesome. Yes. Fat bastard. Get in my belly. It's been official. Uh, no more Oliver Twist. No, you cannot have any more Oliver Twist. 
we are now going to Austin Powers get in my belly. I might just have to make a quick note of that here on my on my sheet. But why don't we go ahead, dive into the playbill. A lot has happened in the past week, and we also want to announce that we're going to be moving to twice-a-week episodes, tons of content, lots happening in the college basketball space. So let's dive in. The first question I want to ask you guys on the heels of this past weekend is the landscape of, of these teams and how good they are, right? So a lot of teams lost in the top 25 this past weekend, our teams included. So what I want to ask you, Taylor, first, because you weren't here last week, want to get your thoughts. Uh, is nobody good? Is everybody actually pretty damn good? Or is there just no elite team? I suppose these responses and these questions can kind of go hand in hand, but that's kind of how I see it playing out or that's kind of how I view the field right now is that I, I want to know, do you think everyone's good? Nobody's good. Or there's just not an elite team. What do you think? So I would like to reference uh, the last couple of years when we've uh, each year had to go through this question. There is a weekend seemingly every year. Like it surprises me that a record number of teams lost this last weekend that are ranked. Because it seems like every year in January, late or mid to late January, we get that weekend where it's a record number of teams lost this week. And I'm always like, how how is there a new record of this every week? There's only 25 fucking teams. We can't have a record every year. Was it a record this weekend? Yeah, it was tied for the most ranked teams that have ever lost on a single weekend. And I'm like, I feel like we get this every year. So my pushback, it's not a pushback on you. It's a pushback on that we hear about this every year. And I think people in previous years have over-exaggerated how there weren't great teams. Oh, college basketball is wide open this year. And I don't actually think that over the last couple of years, college basketball has been quite as wide open as people would have led us to believe, the quote-unquote experts. Gonzaga has been good every year for the last 10 years, right? Uh, Duke has been good every year for the last 10 years. Kentucky has been good every year for the last 10 years. Arizona, Tennessee, whatever, so on and so forth. So I've always pushed back on the previous years and said, no, there are actually like three or four really, really, really good teams. You guys are just trying to play into the narrative. You guys being the media is just playing into the narrative that there's no good teams. This year, I think it's actually true. This year, I don't think that there is a team that is above and beyond everybody else. Um, there's certainly an argument for like a Houston, I, I would say at this point. Um and maybe in Alabama, but Alabama has a murderer now that just got kicked off the team. So that's going to be something to really monitor going forward. Um, I don't want to well, harp should, on that. We should, we should be very clear. Court documents have said that he provided the gun, may not have pulled the trigger. Okay. I don't want to dive into that, okay. but it's there's a messy a, situation. Yeah, for sure. There's a situation regarding a murder that might be on the best team in the in college basketball so so long story short no i actually think this is finally finally the year where um where it's wide open uh tennessee for a week has looked like the best team in in college basketball arizona has done that houston has done that kansas has done that uh, alabama has done that so i would say that this is the most wide open year that we can we've had in our recent history but I don't want to go and say that everybody sucks. I would say that everybody is like a B plus a minus is where okay. I would put it, but I don't think that there's an a plus out there. Yeah. And, and I think that goes to that question that I asked is they're just not an elite team. I think that's where you're, you're setting up shop under that blanket or Correct. that bucket Correct. right there. And Shark. my only push, my only pushback is that over the previous years, you know, you could be a novice college basketball fan and people are like, Oh, it's wide open every year but I don't think it's always been very wide open. I think that this year specifically is actually wide open compared to previous years that we've seen. Well, yeah, the last two years we got Kansas, who I think a lot of people said were the best team in the country year prior to that. I think it was Baylor, right? Best team in the country. Shark, the reason I'm asking it this way and phrasing it as such is because I don't want to be a podcast or a show that every two weeks, every week is saying, who's the best team in the country? Because it does seem like Taylor had mentioned one team plays well for a week, then the next week, another team plays better. So it's just a, it's a futile effort. I think it's a foolish effort to try and identify each week. Who's the best team. Where do you stand under these buckets? Is everyone good? Is nobody good? Is there just not an elite team? I agree with the, I wouldn't even give any of these teams. I'd give one a minus and I'd give it to Houston. 
um, maybe to UCLA. What, what's today? Today's January 17th. I'm If UCLA wins two of their next three games, they have three road games, Arizona State, Arizona, and USC. If they win two of those three, they're going to win the national championship. January 17th, the Shark, put your name on it right there. Because I, I like that team. They're returning a lot. A lot of Final Four players in the past. They've done it before, and they're good this year. They're proven this year. So I think they are borderline A- minus at this point legitimate losses that they have on their record. I think they've rattled off 14 straight. Houston is Houston. You're, no one's ever going to really buy them until they go up and play someone. I know they won at UVA. They lost to Alabama earlier this year. But we got to see them on a neutral uh, uh, against a, an elite team. Um, so I, I don't know if UVA is on that level. But to answer your question bluntly, nobody is elite. Everyone is pretty good. No one is great, in my opinion. Even I look at – you reference Tennessee, my team. They're <sighs> – they're number two in Ken Palm, mainly because of their defense. Their offense is butt cheeks. Um, I, I don't think this is one of their best teams that they've had in the recent years, yet they are looked at as one of the elite teams, you know, by by comparison when you're looking at the pool this year. So I think that's an issue. Tennessee's a little overvalued, but who are you going to value over? Them? There's really not many teams that I would take over Tennessee. I see Xavier in the top 10 now. How the hell did they get in there? They, they're winning games. It's not their fault. What else are you going to, who else are you going to rank above them? So it, this is a long way of saying, I don't think anyone is elite. I think there are maybe two greats and the rest of them are a bunch of B students hanging out that, you know, getting credit at a, uh, you know, getting graded on a curve. Yeah. I, I think where I fall is a little bit of a combination of there are no elite teams, but I don't buy that. Nobody's good. We're in a lot of text conversations where you get a response after UConn loses and to St. John's, you're like, nobody's good. Weren't we talking about how talented St. John's was shark? You said that was the post, right? Best I team didn't Mike say Anderson, that. The, the, the post New York post. Yeah. The New York post said it's the most talented team Mike Anderson's ever had. Granted, right. they, they got a huge win. They're not done yet, St. John's. Don't hang up on the Johnnies. I'm not. I actually picked up the phone. I actually just, right. yeah, yeah, talking Good. to the operator right now. It's Mike Anderson, Condiment Curbelo, which I'm still trying to peddle as a nickname. I'm telling you it's going to catch on at some point. Talk about but, Joel Soriano if you're going to talk about St. John's. That guy's a monster. He is a monster. Did you hear him taunting the UConn faithful, actually, because I think they thought – so the fans thought he was taking too long to shoot his free throws. They start singing the alphabet song, and after he drills it, they obviously stop. But Soriano continued it. He was like, L-M-N-O-P. Uh, so, yeah, I love Joel Soriano. But the point that I'm making is there aren't that many elite teams. We even see a team like Kansas who has just been eking, eking by at home the last couple of weeks. I mean, nobody wins in Lawrence. I suppose that is a factor, their talent. But – they just barely beat Iowa State. Gonzaga is the exact same way, except they're on the road, of course, against inferior competition as it relates to the Big 12. I'm just looking at this top top 10 right now. You go to Purdue, I think they would probably have the best shot at or maybe best claim because they just have a great win on the road against a hot Michigan State team, and they only have one loss. Uh, Bama, they're drubbing everyone. Um, UCLA. Of course, they're they're playing incredibly well. We all know my thoughts on Jaime Jaquez. I just talked about Gonzaga. Texas, there's some turmoil as well. Uh, but Rodney Terry's done a really r remarkable job with them. Uh, they still only have two losses on the season. Xavier, Sean Miller, who we're going to get into here in a little bit. Tennessee drops one against Kentucky, but rivalries are, are, are a real thing. And I think you just caught Kentucky at the tail end of a terrible week in which they lost to South Carolina, Oscar Shibwe calls folks out. I think Calipari took the phone away from folks. And then there's Virginia, who I feel like a lot of people were thinking about at the top of the season or at the beginning of the season have tailed off because I think they lost like two straight something in the middle of that. And they're sitting there with a 13 and three record at number 10. So I think this is going to be the most wide open bracket that we're going to have in quite some time. I don't know if there is a team like the last couple of years where we could just say Baylor's the best team, Gonzaga's the best team. Even last year, to an extent, Kansas was the best team. Uh, I, but I do think that we need to avoid commentary on, one, anointing teams week after week, but two, saying that uh, nobody's actually really good. I think it's the opposite. I think there's a lot of really good teams and a lot of talent dispersed. Go ahead, Taylor. So here's what I think part of the problem is, is, is a part of our discussion or the national discussion, I should say. Uh, Shark brought it up um, with Tennessee. So the top 
four teams in Ken Palm are uh, top 10 defensive teams in the country, but none of them rank inside the top 10 in offense. I think over the last handful of years, we've seen teams like a Gonzaga or a Kansas um, or an Arizona at times or a Duke, uh, the top teams in the country really get out and be a top five offensive efficiency team. We really don't have a team at this point that is putting together both sides of the ball as well as some of those teams in the past. So the top four teams in the country, again, let me say this again, are all top 10 defensive efficiency teams. Now, if you look at the offensive side of the ball, there's only two in the top 20, two in the top 14 that are in offensive efficiency. So I think we're just seeing a slower, more defensive uh, pace in college basketball this year. Why that may be, I don't know. Could be recruiting, could be NIL, could be one and done, could be a bunch of different factors. But I think that's part of the reason why we why we're seeing closer margins is we're having better defensive teams that are uh, at at the top of the polls. Tennessee's a, the the number one, or and Houston are the top examples of that. And I think people just relate good basketball to offensive basketball if you're experts of the sport like we are you know that you know that defense is just as important we'll get into this with sean miller and a team like xavier too but they're actually like third in the country in offensive efficiency and they're not going to get that credit because people naturally look at a coach like sean miller and be like oh he's a defensive guy whatever i think all of this defensive uh, side of things really plays into why people think it's a little more wide open and why teams aren't as good which isn't necessarily accurate because obviously there's not just one side of the basketball uh, in these shark games. let me get your thoughts on this before we move on to sean miller and xavier and they've done an amazing job is there a team that you can see doesn't even have to be in the top 10 Right, the way I'm looking at it, it's almost like those jumbled standings in the East and Western Conference in the NBA, where the 12 seed is separated by a game and a half from the three seed. I feel like we're at that level in the top 25. But do you see a team, Shark? Can you identify a team that maybe pulls away and does take a stranglehold of the elite or of the the, the best team? And I actually I want to omit Houston because their schedule is remarkably favorable. So you can't say Houston. Can't say Houston, they're going to be one of them. To, to answer that question, I would say if there's one team that could really emerge as a one seed as we go forward, uh, it's Gonzaga. They, they play at they play at St. Mary's, which is a tough game. Uh, if they get by that one, they could very well end the regular season with three losses and very much be on the one seed line. Nobody sees it coming. They're back where they've been for the last few years. Um, but that's really – the only team I can see doing that, I suppose, you know, Purdue's there, Kansas is there. Kansas is going to have so many different tests throughout the big 12 uh, Purdue. Similarly, in my opinion, I don't see any other of those teams being able to really emerge Alabama. Maybe uh, we'll see what happens. I do think that this year, if there's ever a year for a team that is not a traditional college basketball winner, you know, you can go pull up the Wikipedia page. You can pull up any sort of list showing the past title winners. You're always going to see the same teams. You're going to see Kansas. You're going to see Villanova. You got the one year with Baylor. You'll see some Kentuckys. You'll see some UNCs. This could be a year where you see someone weird. I mean, you really could. I mentioned St. Mary's. Why can't St. Mary's win? Aiden, Mah- Aiden Mahoney, Aiden Mahaney, whatever that guy's name is, a freshman. He He's a stud. You could see some strange school actually come out and win the title this year, whether it's Xavier, Tennessee. Uh, I don't think Arizona can do it. Sorry, boys. Uh, Miami. Why not Miami? You know, like any of these teams can get hot at the right time. Anyone can beat anyone. I know that's cliche to say in college basketball, but I think this is the one year where we may not see a blue blood, whether it's an old blue blood or one of these new bloods that we've been dealing with, you know, win a title. We almost had some Final Four representation, by the way, from from Miami last year. They played Iowa State, and that's the team I actually want to take a look at is Iowa State. They can make a run. They they were nipping at the heels of Kansas. We talked about it last week, Shark, how Otzelberger and his shirts are just remarkably uh, not only undersized, but underrated as well. So Iowa State, I would take a look at. I would also keep an eye on Virginia. They were my ACC uh, championship pick. 
I think they're going to win that conference. It's a down ACC. Let's see how they play against Clemson. I think that they're more seasoned. They have uh, they have players in Kihei Clark and Tony Bennett that have won big games before. Brad Brownell does a great job winning against Duke. But I think Virginia could really thrust themselves into a top four uh, ranking as well. So keep an eye out on Iowa state and, and Virginia as well, but you're right, Shark. How perfect would it be or how annoying, I guess, however you want to look at it, it that the the one year Bama football has two losses, misses the playoff. <laughs> now they got a wagon on the basketball, on the basketball court. Life ain't fair. Go ahead, Taylor. And just to back up Shark's point here, you know, every year um, what's the rule of thumb is you have to be in the top, 10 or top 20 in both offensive and defensive efficiency uh, with Ken Palm to, to win, uh, to win the championship. There are not that many teams that are going to be eligible for that. So that just goes to his point um, that it, it could be a little more random this year. Last thing I'll say, Purdue again, revisiting them. Cause I can already hear Boilermaker fans getting upset saying, We've played a tough schedule. We have some great out-of-conference wins. We only have one loss on the entire year. I've seen it before, fellas. I've seen it before, and you keep burning, folks. All right? You you didn't beat St. Peter's last year. You've you've lost to Yale, and or excuse me, UNT in the past. We've seen this before. So I don't know. A lot of people are apprehensive about getting bit again, right? Houston's been to a Final Four. Kansas has been to a Final Four. Virginia's been to a Final Four. Top ten. I mean, you could make the make the same case for Tennessee, but I don't think Tennessee fans are saying that. Hey, we're getting overlooked, like some Purdue fans might be. Purdue fans, I, I think I got to see it in in the tournament. Can I give a quick plug? I've been identifying my my dark horses to win. You know, go to a Final Four this year, and two of them. I normally like to get three dark horses, but the two that I've named thus far, TCU. That could very well be a team that makes a run and goes very far. They they have the experience. They have elite guards. They they they're just they play tough. And the other one, this is crazy to even think about, but I could legitimately see Creighton going to the Final Four at this point, just because they haven't had the opportunity to really play at full strength. They've played a ton of teams. Uh, they've played them close. Yeah, it's crazy with the amount of losses that they have. But if they sneak in there, that would be one of the worst eight seeds I'd ever want to see if I was a one seed in the second round, if they get there. They'll get there. I'm confident that they'll get there, not only based on the preseason hype, but also their resume, I think, will be enough. But you're right, Shark. That is going to be a dangerous, low-seeded team. And I can already see people pavloving, licking their chops to to take them in an upset. Talk you Alabama football up. What about TCU then? Bring Going to a national championship and a Final Four, potentially? That's true. That's very true. But that beatdown was so bad. It almost <laughs> yeah, makes you right. question. Okay, you're right. Okay, fine. You're right. Did I want to did I want to beat Michigan? I think keeping it close and then losing to Michigan in that final four was enough if I knew that a 65 to 7 beatdown was going to come. But Hey, how about uh, another purple team? Kansas State. Playing hey, good basketball not, right now. Coming out of coming out kind of not out of nowhere necessarily, but uh, I mean they're playing as well as anybody over the last month or so. As we record this and as I look at the ESPN app, they're up 31 to 19 at home on Kansas. I did tweet earlier today that they are going to beat Kansas. Uh, some no name came into my mentions just saying, nope, like E40. Nope. I, I have it ready. I have the gift ready where he just says, yep. Uh, if they do win that sunflower showdown, but great opener. Uh, I'm, I'm glad we, we hashed that out because again, folks, I don't want to be, the podcast that keeps saying week after week after week, this is the best team. This is the best team. It evolves. It changes. Uh, it seems like a useless waste of, of effort. All right. Let's move on, though, now to a very good team, a team that has really blossomed under, I don't know, you can't really call it the first year head coach because he's been there before. We got to talk Xavier. We got to talk Sean Miller. And what a remarkable job he has done. Shark. Give me your thoughts on the Musketeers. We alluded to them a little bit in the last segment, but here they are sitting atop the Big East. Perfect. They uh, they had a great weekend at home. Talk to us about Xavier. Kicking myself. Tell you, last year, I just referenced my dark horses. They were a dark horse that I had last year, and then they fell apart, but they're clearly putting it all together this year. Sean Miller is spectacular. Uh, their team is just so well-rounded. They, they Who were we talking about the other week? Uh, Nunji. 
uh, no, Sue, we're talking about the team that had all, all the different parts that fit uh, Providence. We're talking about guys that just know their roles. It's similar with Xavier. They have a great front court. They can shoot. Obviously, Sully Boom is a terrific player. Um, I, You know, all their games are kind of similar, though. You know, they're all very close until the end. What have they ripped off? 12 straight or so, so they're very hot right now. A little concerned about this being a little bit too early of a peak. Um, they're susceptible to get beat by anyone, but – They've always had the pieces and, you know, Nunjean Fremantle, um, very experienced. I like this team a lot to see them in the top 10 is their top 10, right? I think they are. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I they're, they're, nine. yeah, they're undefeated in the big East, but it, it's, it's strange because you normally would expect them to be kind of one of those teams in the twenties or something that would be a dangerous out in the sweet 16 or something like that. But they're going to have to start playing with expectations if they keep this rolling. Um, clearly, they can score. Clearly, they they have a seasoned and experienced head coach um, that up until the Elite Eight, you know, he can get you that far. Uh, I don't know if he can go beyond that. But I, I like Xavier, uh, but they've never really been in this post position as a, as a favorite as they go forward. So we'll see how they handle it. I mean, talk about kicking yourself. Has there been a bigger Sean Miller supporter that you guys know than Taylor Dammel and no. still didn't pick him still didn't pick to a fault the <laughs> yeah true. right yeah you and but, I are so idiots I, about that in the Villanova boat that's that's on us yeah 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 wait that's a whole nother discussion but no I mean not is it is it surprising that they're this good um yeah I guess is it surprising that they're good under Sean Miller no uh, I mean when was Sean Miller not good? Everyone got all wrapped up in this bullshit that didn't. Well, this happen. isn't. And, they're not really and, a Sean Miller team, though. They they play terrible defense, well, so it's kind of yeah. Sure, but I think I, I I think this goes to a little bit of the point that I over the years was attempting to make, but obviously with the shit that was going on with Arizona basketball, it was hard to make because the the proof wasn't in the pudding at the time. And I think Sean Miller actually evolved a little more as a coach over the last couple of years of his career. But a lot of Arizona fans weren't willing to give him credit for that because the guy literally lost like two consecutive recruiting classes of teams that he had built. Now that we see that to no legal fault of his own in, in a way, and so we didn't necessarily get to see the team, how Sean Miller had evolved as a coach, unless you were watching every single Arizona basketball game, which most people are not watching every single basketball game of any school. Uh, I think most people would not have uh, understood or realized that. And I think that if you looked at the later ends of Sean Miller's career, which includes recruits like Benedict Matherin, who's the second best rookie, third best rookie in the N NBA right now, potentially, who is very offensive minded. Uh, Dale and Terry, offensive-minded. Christian Coloco, good defense, but also a decent offense. Zeke Naji, all these guys. Yeah, they, their team actually became better offensively, uh, especially from a talent standpoint over his later years at at uh, down in Tucson. And so is it surprising that they're this good at, at offense and not nearly as good at defense? Sure. But there was a progression that Sean Miller was making that I think everybody just skipped over because they're like, oh, he paid a, he paid these guys $100,000 and, blah, 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 blah. you know, I'm dumb and don't know how to read past the headline of an article, you know, that in reality, this guy was actually making this type of progress. Now, did the year off help him? A hundred percent. He was on um, our direct rival podcast field of 68 every pretty much every night last year. Um, and you could some tell good guys he, over at field of 68. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, definitely. Um, but he, you know, kind of went back and not to make the 19th football reference of this show, but almost like a Mike McCarthy with the Packers where he just sat out for a year before he took a new job and said, okay, what am I doing wrong? What am I not doing right? And for Sean Miller specifically, why it's working out so well has to be because, at least in a factor, that he went back to a place that he was familiar with. You know, like uh, how many other coaches, it would be, I know we don't have the crack research staff on this at this point, but how many other coaches have ever gone back and coached a school that they left? I, I can't imagine there's that many. So the fact that he got to go to a place that he was familiar with, where they all wanted him back, he had the experience at a bigger school, I don't think there's, if this is the, the 
uh, positive um, that they're getting out of the first year. I can't imagine how good Xavier is going to be over the course of the next two, five, ten years if this is already what they're seeing. Uh, I couldn't be more impressed with them at this point, uh, but it doesn't surprise me at all that they're that they're good. Yeah, doesn't surprise me either, Taylor. I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about Sean Miller's evolution because a couple episodes ago, actually, we were talking about their, and Shark even brought this up, alluded to it, their Elite Eight struggles. What was the biggest issue? They couldn't score. They always had the best defenses in the country, but they couldn't go toe-to-toe with a Frank Kaminsky or a Sam Decker, right, and those Wisconsin teams. Uh, they couldn't go toe-to-toe with a Kemba Walker almost, right, in that, in that UConn game. So his evolution has been progressing. And I think you're right to a lot of people in the untrained eye, maybe it's shocking that Sean Miller's leading this offensive team. And think about it. The offense really is tremendous. They're third in field goal percentage. They're fifth in three point uh, field goal percentage. And this is the coup de gras, if you will. Everyone loves defense. Every coach loves defense. But if you look at the offensive side of the ball, what they love the most assists. They are number one in assists. They share the ball so well. And it's because again, we're, we're, we're weaving here, folks. We're, we're, we're putting this all together. Like the shark said, they have the right personnel that knows what they need to do. Kunkel isn't taking the jacking up shots. Like I feel like he was under Travis Steele. Jack Nungy has been a wonderful addition, addition the past couple of years. Sule boom, man, what a what a what a revelation he has been coming in from UTEP. And I hearken back to our interview with David Miller, who's an assistant coach with Xavier back in May. This was prophetic. I've listened to this clip and it is it, it, it is truly prophetic and it gives me chills. He said, There's this dude, Sule Boom, who came to us. I think we're going to know his name by the end of the next year. I truly believe that. I truly think that, you know, th- this is how much I believe in him. Brother, it is like we knew his name in November. We knew his name uh, at Thanksgiving. So the offense for Sean Miller and Xavier is so aesthetically pleasing and it's great to watch. You're right, though, Shark. They are in a couple battles, but I feel like I chalked that up to to the Big East. So moving forward, do you see, because I do agree, Shark, that they are peaking right now. I don't know if this is sustainable because even if you, if you sustain this, let's say to mid to late February, then it's postseason time, which includes the Big East tournament. And then at that point, your fan base is kind of like, well, you might as well win the Big East tournament now. And if you don't, then I'm going to be a little worried about what you do in the NCAA tournament. Uh, the only other point that I would make before I kick it back to you, Shark, is if you're Travis Steele, man, tough noogies. This is rough because Shark, you had mentioned that they they haven't really found themselves in this pole position. I'd push back on that. I think the JP Makira uh, Trayvon Blewett team was at least a one through three seed when they went to the NCAA tournament, and that was with Chris Mack. Enter Travis Steele. That was their down years, and now they're back. I mean, you can literally pinpoint the Travis Steele years as the downfall uh, during this this little run. So shark, but what I want to ask you though, is do you foresee them continuing this, uh, this type of performance? No, I don't. I, I think they're going to fall back to where they should be five seed, six seed line. They, they haven't played any of the good big East teams on the road yet. And we've seen most big East teams when they go on the road and I'm the good big East teams I'm talking about are Xavier, UConn, Providence, Marquette, and Creighton. They're pretty much cannibalizing each other whenever they play on the road. The only one that I'm aware of was um, Providence beat Marquette at home in that double overtime game um, at, at the dunk that happened. I at, think. The du- at the yeah. dunk. Yeah. I thought we were talking on the road. Oh, you're right. Yeah. So I just proved <laughs> my point. Yeah. So I, I'm unaware I don't of anything. We've yet to see it. Yeah. We've yet to see any of these teams beat each other on the road just yet. They've been close, uh, but we haven't seen it from anyone. So I, Xavier has benefited, in my opinion, from having uh, played all of the good teams except Providence. They've beaten Marquette at home. They beat Creighton at home, and they beat UConn at home. Outside of that, they've been fortunate to play Georgetown. Um, yeah, I'll give them a good win against St. John's on the road as well. So they're tested, but you got to do it. Someone's going to have to beat someone on the road at some point. Otherwise, we're going to have to deal with it at uh, in New York for the Big Ten tournament. Big, Big East tournament. Sorry. 
there's a good question that relates back to uh, our first topic of discussion on this episode. How good is college basketball? How good is the Big East? Talk about a talk about a league you just said that's going to cannibalize each other. We're not sure who's really, really good. The best teams in the conference are quite arguably Marquette, Providence, and Xavier. And none of those were none of them were ranked. Did any of us pick Shark? Who did you pick to win the Big East? Creighton? Creighton, yeah. Yeah, right. So I mean it kind of I, I'm going to push back a little bit on 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 your uh, thought that they're going to fall back to the field because that means that someone else in the Big East is going to have to step up above the field, I guess, in my opinion. Um, I, I, I'll highlight two games that are probably going to decide the Big East at this point, in my opinion, and that's that Xavier at Marquette on February 15th and Xavier at Providence on March 1st. To, just to your point, going on the road, they probably only need to win one of those two games if they hold serve at home to to take home that conference. So uh, the Big East is going to be great down the stretch here just because of that, where who's good? Do we know? Is Creighton going to rise to the top where they should be? I, I think we're out on – I think are we collectively out on Villanova at this point? <laughs> yeah, I have no choice. You know, I mean, months. yeah, right, exactly. So um, – what what a great stretch it's going to be with Marquette Providence and shout out. I mean, I hate to be I hate to be pro Providence on a program like this with with all of our history with Providence fans, but talk about talk about a team that's really, you know, grown over the course of the year. Providence has, you know, I don't think any of us expected them to be good. They were a bubble team essentially going into the year. Uh, they've showed some great strides. Same with Marquette uh, Xavier probably expect to be a little better than those other teams maybe, but I will say one more thing about Sean Miller is in terms of roster construction, his roster construction has always been pretty good. In my opinion, all he's ever needed is, is a really good guard, a really good lead guard. And um, sometimes he lacked that at Arizona. I think he has that now. And I think that as a guy who is a point guard by trade, if he has good guard play, the, the sky is the limit for Xavier and a Sean Miller coach team with the right point guard. I think those two games that you mentioned, those two road games are critical, not only because of the win loss, but the dates. I think one you mentioned was in mid February. The other one was in March. So that's late enough in the season where you can stockpile these wins. If you get the job done. And if you take care of business where you can almost see the end of the finish line, it's not the dog days of conference play. And so when you're at mid February, and of course, literally when the calendar turns to March, you start salivating and start thinking about big East play. And that's when there's an extra oomph of, okay, we got to play our best basketball. Last point I'll make before we move on to a couple other topics regarding Sean Miller. This is just me personally thinking about this, all right? I have no validation, no quotes, nothing to substantiate this or back this up. But when Sean Miller saw the rankings come out on Monday, I will almost guarantee that he had a wry smile with his cup of coffee, his buttered toast, scrambled eggs, and he was opening up the paper, he was opening up his laptop, sipping, and he saw Xavier ahead of Arizona. I will almost guarantee that he was relishing in that he'll never say it. He'll never say it publicly, but I will almost guarantee that. So Sean Miller, Xavier having a terrific start to the season. Actually, shit, we're halfway through <laughs> They're They're, they're still plowing through um, shark question for you. Did you catch the Michigan state Purdue game on MLK day? I actually missed it. It was at two thirty, so I was out doing some stuff. But I saw Edie hit the bucket at the end, so I'm, I'm aware of their victory. I love Michigan State. What were they getting for in that one? So I love I love that one. If I had the opportunity to get that one out, but um, I did see that they win. They won. You mentioned it earlier in the podcast. Purdue could win the rest of their games this year. I can't trust them. I can't trust them against Abilene Christian. You know, I, I just can't because they they do this every single year. They collapse on themselves. Um, and this year seems almost even more susceptible to it because it's a whole bunch of just shooters surrounding the the giant in the middle. And if those shots aren't going down, then they could start to press and pucker a little bit. And that, that could be difficult because they don't have the JD Ivy this year to be able to create his own shot. So um, aware they won, aware they have one loss, aware they're top five, don't care. <laughs> Taylor, did you catch the game? Yes. And as a guy who had Purdue by – Four, I think is what I got it at at some point over the last day there. Uh, it was a little disappointing. And I, I guess I'm not disagreeing with the shark, but I've always been more of a pro. I've always been a pro Purdue guy. And 
Um, just hung out with a friend of the program, Justin Hasgard, a week ago, and his, two of his Purdue buddies, and we kind of were chopping about chopping it up about this exact subject about how Purdue, with literally like three more tournament wins, could be considered like a top fifteen program in college basketball history, but they just don't ever crest over that hump. And as much as I want to, I really want to. I want to argue with Shark about Purdue. I really do. I, I go into programs hoping that we can argue about Purdue. And yet I can't because I know that there's a higher likelihood than not that I would be on the losing end of that. Not of my own fault, but because of Matt Painter, even though I love him. So, yeah, I, I'm kind of right there with the shark is I need I need a year. I need a year. I need a run before I can really like buy my Purdue jersey and really dive into this. Well, I think an added layer to that is me and the Sharks saw them lose live in person in Philadelphia to St. Pete. Uh, maybe we should get some Purdue guys on. Because was that I think just that last was, year? That was just last yeah. year. St. Pete? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Sorry. I'm just talking out loud. Sorry. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, and I had referenced uh, North Texas, but uh, what was I, what was I saying there just now? But yeah, I mean, Purdue, we, we might need to get a Purdue guy on and that way we could complete we'd have the strongest quartet of programs that do so well in the regular season and then just let out the biggest fart noise come March, Purdue, Tennessee, Arizona. Obviously that's three teams, four people, but like that would be that we might need to get a Purdue person on here and just commiserate. And the, the St. Peter's game, you could not have a better matchup for a team with the size that Purdue had, right? You have Edie, you have Trayvon Williams, who was basically like Kevin McHale in college basketball in terms of post moves. Nobody on St. Peter's was bigger than six foot six, and you still lose that game. So that's why it does not matter what the matchup is. It does not matter how good it looks on paper. You just can't. I, I, Taylor, I agree with you. I think Matt Painter is a great coach, but there is just something in the orange, as Zach Bryan would say. You can't figure it out right there. And I, um, I don't think that's what he meant by that line. I just wanted to say he might have, he yeah. might have, but tying it to this game, this Michigan State Purdue game, the last possession, the game winning possession for Purdue, they inbound the ball, run a quick set to get the ball on the wing, and then they just dump it down to Zach Eady, and he, he lays it in like, like a peach in a basket or when you're apple picking with your wife. Just that's what he did. And to tie it back to that St. Peter's game, I literally thought that's what they were going to do every single possession down because of that height advantage. And for some godforsaken reason, that never happened. And I remember I, I tweeted this after the Michigan State game winner for media. I was like, that was comically easy. There was zero suspense, zero drama, and zero resistance from Michigan State. I think Sissoko was trying to front Zach Eady on a game-winning possession. Not sure about that. Actually, I'm very sure because it resulted in a loss. But that's what that's what I was thinking they were going to do against St. Peter's or no matter who they were going to play. And then, Taylor, real quick before I get back to you, a couple items I want to talk on this game. Tyson Walker was incredible. I don't know where he fits Shark under your criteria of loving Michigan State. Tyson Walker was going shot for shot with Fletcher Lawyer and also uh, Zach Eady, who had 32-17. and 17. Monster performance, Taylor. I know we want to hype up the Zulus Tabellus train for all American and there's their spots, but the, the player of the year has got to be Zach Eady right now. I don't think that's, that's too tough to predict oh, 32 yeah. and 17 right now. And then the last thing I want to note, God, this was such a brutal last minute. It lasted 21 real minutes. The last minute of the game lasted 21 minutes. According to Ken Palm, how is that even real life? Between the timeouts, the reviews, just everything. Maddening, maddening stuff. I could have made an omelet, right? I could have walked the dog. I could have taken a really big dump. I could have done a number of things. It's games like that that ruin our relationships with our wives, by the way. Just want to throw that out there. Hey, hon, I'll come help you. There's only 48 seconds left. And she's like, oh, yeah, it takes half an hour. And you're like, no, 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 no. It's not going to take that long. And then it does. So... Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Shark. I was going to, Father, you craving eggs over there? A lot of egg references this evening. That's true. That's a good point. Did you get a raise? Is that why? Because are you the only one that can afford eggs? At this uh, point? <laughs> that's clever. That's clever. No. Topical. Uh, Topical. Bonus season upcoming, though, hopefully. Fingers hey, crossed. Huge. Huge. Speaking of bonuses, we owe a lot of our bonuses as college basketball podcasters to a 
to the Izzos because we have to have the same discussion every single year. Oh, they're 12 and six. Are they good? Are they not? We should actually have to write him a check every single like January 15th because we have to continue to ask the same question. And we all know the answer. Everybody knows the answer. Yes, they're good. We all know this, whether we want is they're 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 Purdue opposite, right? Like that's true. <laughs> they are, they are. Is it's yeah. like Purdue is hitting its stride every year at this point. You're like, wow, Purdue fucks. Like they're this is the year, you know. And we're always like, oh, Michigan State, man, just playing like garbage. Not really, but like the record indicates that, you know. And then we have to we have to write the check to Tom Izzo every year. That's like, oh. Yeah, it's still, I mean, it's not surprising. I know I'm not bringing up something that's like shocking or hard hitting here, but I just think it's just hilarious that Michigan State's 12 and six, and we have to sit here and be like, God, what can can they not play defense down the stretch of a game? Like they didn't know they were going to the Zach ED, blah blah blah, and then we'll see them second weekend of March, no matter what. Yeah, and they're gonna they're gonna beat Tennessee to get there too. I can already picture it. That's the team that beats Tennessee in the second round. As we record this, Tennessee has 17 points, nearly at the end of the first half. Tyreek Key and Santiago Vescovi not playing today. And what shows is an absolute disaster on the court. So I'm already picturing it in my head. I might not even watch the tournament this year. Another update, Kansas only down three against Kansas State. Uh, but you're right, though, Taylor. If, if the calendar was bread, right? If the calendar was bread, March is the butter. Michigan State knows where their bread is buttered, and it's March. They know, and it's the opposite for Purdue. Um, okay, let's go ahead. Just get quick thoughts here uh, regarding the Darius Miles situation. Another serious, serious legal matter in the college basketball space. Like I had mentioned, court documents are saying that Miles was involved in a murder in Tuscaloosa by providing the gun that was used to shoot and kill a 23-year-old woman court documents again saying that he did not shoot the gun, but he provided the gun. I'm not necessarily sure exactly what that means. That's all I have. And of course we're college basketball. That's what we cover. Taylor, I'll kick it to you first. It's really sad and depressing that we have to keep having these conversations for top 10 teams. You look at Texas with the beard situation, uh, but we got to ask it. How does this impact Bama? If it does at all? I mean, I think we'll see tonight. Uh, their game tips in, is it eight minutes from when this is recording right now? Um, I think it's going to be a little different from the Chris Beard situation. That was um, when you're, I don't know. I, I'm not sure there's a really good way to phrase this. When you, the guy that's leading the team is the guy who's under turmoil. Uh, I think that affects the team differently than when a guy like Darius Miles has only played in a handful of games this year. Um, and actually the night or the, literally just hours before this incident took place, he was ruled out for the remainder of the season with an ankle injury. So it wasn't like he was a, a major contributor to this team. Now, that being said, there's obviously the emotional side of it where it's like, yeah, your boy just got arrested for capital capital murder charges. Like, I'm sure that doesn't sit well with anybody. Um, and I don't know. I mean, that, like, look at those Florida teams for football back in the past. All these dudes were out here just gunning people down. You know, and that didn't affect the team. Maybe the team already knows that this is this guy's activity. Maybe it's totally uh, a surprise to people. Um, it's unfortunate, though, because of the unnecessary nature of it, not even just from the um, incident itself, right? If you are a D1 basketball player, if you're Darius Miles, right? Like, what are you doing? What? Why are we even involved or wrapped up in this side of stuff? Uh, there's so much more that goes into it than what I can relay and what my life experiences are and all that type of stuff. But it's just unfortunate all the way around. It's completely unnecessary. Has ruined so many people's lives. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I, what do you even root for in this situation? You can't really root for anything. Uh, you know, it's there's there's not really a good outcome here. So it's just unfortunate. I guess the only thing you can root for is that uh, the hope that um, – you know, everybody that's connected with Darius Biles uh, uses this as some kind of a lesson to know what they should or should not be involved in and how it will impact or how, you know, their lives and other people. So, yeah. Shark, any thoughts on how this impacts the tide, if it does at all? Don't 
don't really even know what to say. Obviously, the thoughts go out to the the young lady who passed away uh, because of this senseless act um, regarding the culpability and the responsibility. Who knows? There's no playbook on this one. So it's hard to kind of rationalize being able to support the team, but that's the way life is. You know, life happens to go on. And um, I, I don't really have any thoughts on it other than I, I feel terrible for the, the family of the woman involved. Yeah, I think that's very well put. Again, uh, thinking of the victim themselves and their family, of course, but in a college basketball lens, I find myself yet again thinking of the teammates and the players because it's unfair for them to have to answer questions regarding a serious legal matter when they're enjoying arguably the best season of their life and all they're there to do is play basketball. It's the same thing with Texas, a very serious legal matter that's hanging over their head. And so I'm, I'm almost finding we're seeing it with Texas now, but Bama, I'm hoping that they're going to follow that script where they use the basketball court almost as a sanctuary where they can get away from the press, the media, these types of questions and focus strictly on basketball, but certainly a very tragic event. And uh, we'll continue to monitor that, but we'd be remiss if we didn't bring that up. One of the biggest jolts news stories in college basketball, it has not been a banner year uh, in terms of, the, the legal system and college basketball, like I had mentioned, Chris Beard, and then even before that, New Mexico State with some issues and now the Darius Miles situation. All right, let's now move on to the bet segment. Taylor, I'm quickly implementing get in my belly. Taylor, Taylor uh, give us some winners, please. So not a banner week not a banner of last couple weeks for your boy. Uh, I went three and Oh, and then have not really done great since then. Uh, had a very funny, uh, situation where college of Charleston actually had their score incorrectly inputted, uh, where I thought we had lost that game. Thank God we had won that game though. It gave me at least one last week. So would love to move on here to find some more wins and where we're going to find that first win. I hope is with a, uh, the aforementioned TCU Horn Frogs going on the road to West Virginia tomorrow. They're only plus 1.5. And I don't think West Virginia is very good. And as we've discussed, we literally just discussed TCU as a sneaky final four uh, candidate. I think one and a half points for me is, is enough on the road going to, uh, to Morgantown. Uh, so I'm, I'm going Horn Frogs plus one and a half from there. I'm going to move on to a team that has been down, but at some point, has to become up, in my opinion. Connecticut is just a four-point favorite on the road on seat at Seton Hall. Again, not a big Seton Hall believer, but I think as as much as Connecticut has played badly lately, I don't think they're bad. At some point, they are going to have to win some games if they're going to finish in the top four of the Big East, which I think they will. So I'm going to go UConn minus four at Seton Hall, and then last but not least. I'm going to go to the SEC, and uh, I can't figure out this Florida team, and that's why I'm not picking them. I'm actually picking the team they're playing, Texas A&M, Tamu at home by four. Florida, I, I, I can't figure out. They, they seemingly beat the teams. I probably lost, let's put it this way, I've probably lost like 10 games I've bet against Florida this year. But I, You know, the LSU game last week, they were favored on the road. I didn't understand that one necessarily because I thought LSU was a little better than they were, whatever. Uh, and so I guess more than anything else is I have to get a Florida game right at some point, whether I'm betting on them or against them. So I'm going Texas A&M at home minus four. So that's Tamu by four, UConn by four, and, T and TCU uh, plus 1.5. I like this, Taylor. Let's see if you can get back on track. You're usually in the smaller conferences, but you've 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 sprinkled your dust here over the the big. Guys. Sometimes I just got to go with what's available the next day. You know, best avail best ability availability. Shark last week. I'm sorry, Taylor. I didn't recap yours, but you did a wonderful job doing that. Shark last week. You had Tamu plus one uh, against Missouri. That hit Florida. Virginia Tech minus two. Syracuse. Mike, dude. They 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 are in some trouble. No Couture. I, my guy, my guy said Hunter Couture was playing. That guy lied to me. So that play was off from the moment I he didn't set foot on the court. He was practicing the day before. That's not on me. I'm not 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 blaming you 
uh, we just may, may need to get some more reliable guys. And then Creighton, blind line against Providence. There was a little friction there between the two. You, Shark, I want to give you this opportunity before you go into your picks just to set the definition on blind line and what exactly that means. A blind line is what it opens at. I got, I'm picking that this is Wednesday, Tuesday night for me, all right? Tuesday night, East Coast. If I'm picking a blind line on a Saturday, those lines aren't released. So once it opens, I identify the open. I texted Subi on the side. I told you what it was. I did something similar for a game that I'm going to pick tonight as well. I noticed it as it was released, and I'm going to play it. I'll announce it right now. You think you're looking at me. You're going to call me crazy for doing this because you just laughed at my Virginia Tech pick. Well, guess what? We're running it back. Guess what? My guy says Hunter Couture is playing this week. So I'm back in Virginia Tech going into Charlottesville. They're playing their rivals. Beat them once last year. Lost by two in Charlottesville last year. Hunter Couture should play at this point. So if Couture's playing, I'm playing them. Plus seven and a half at UVA. Do or die game for the Hokies. They got to have it. They, they have another tough one coming up on the weekend. I think it's uh, at Clemson. They have to win one of these games or else they're done. All right. So they Couture is back. I think they're going to cover that seven and a half. They might win this game outright too. I'm back in Virginia Tech. They're not going to burn me twice. Funny enough, Taylor's picks right there. I'm with them on one of them. I'm also on UConn minus four playing Seton Hall. I thought it would be more than that. UConn needs a get right game. Seton Hall, be careful. They've rattled off three straight within the conference, but UConn really is just a better team. I expect them to control this one from start to finish. They need they need to get something out of Hunter here because you know he left the game, struggled mightily, uh, but the talent disparity uh, is is clear to me, and I think UConn will get right with this victory. I do think there's a clear division between the good teams and the bad teams in the Big East, and this is going to be a great example of seeing that on back in UConn. And then funny enough, again, Taylor says he can't figure out Florida. I'm also in that game, and I'm back in Florida. Give me the four points. Believe it or not, brother, these teams played a couple weeks ago in Gainesville, AM won. All right, so you can beat a team twice maybe, but you can't cover against that team twice. Florida was favored by six in that game. They came out terribly, all right, disaster first half, 23 points, and they came storming back in the second half. Florida's starting to get it together a little bit. So I would keep an eye on them. They had they looked awful against UConn back in December. Uh, AM hasn't lost a game in the conference just yet. Are they really going to go 5 and 0 in the conference? I don't know. AM beat Florida in the SEC tournament last year. I expect Florida to come back, Castleton to control the game. He played terribly against AM last time. Marble is good on AM. He's a tough he's a tough son of a gun. But Castleton's a more skilled player. I'm going to take the four points with Florida in College Station. So my picks are UConn minus four, Virginia Tech plus seven and a half. Put a little asterisk next to that baby and say, give me Hunter Couture or give me death. And then finally, give me Florida plus four. You're locked in regardless of Couture, by the way. Just want to make I know, sure. I know. I know. I was locked right. in last week without Couture. All right. Uh, and let's see if Tamu can actually remember their uniforms for the Florida game. Last time they were in Gainesville, the game had to be delayed because they left it at the hotel. Shark, I also want to thank you for holding in maybe laughter or whatever response you had when earlier in the episode I said, uh, watch out for Virginia making a run here. <laughs> You're taking Vodtech. So I'm, I'm, I appreciate you waiting for this segment to get that off your chest. Self-restraint. I, I was holding it in. That's a mark of a mark of a very disciplined man. All right, let's get on out of here now on some good things. Taylor. So this is actually a couple of weeks behind, but I've been absent for a couple episodes uh, and it relates to the DeMar Hamlin situation. But Keontae Johnson uh, for Kansas State having, you know, leading a, a, a resurgent team uh, there in Manhattan, Kansas, one of my favorite college uh, towns in the country, um, you know, only played five games for Florida uh, over the last two years after his um, cardiac situation there that happened uh, in early 2020. Um, or early 2021, I should say. Um, and he's back, back. I mean, I, there's no other way to put it other than that. Uh, as we've noted a couple times, Kansas State playing Kansas close right now. Keontae Johnson averaging 18, 7, and 2 this year. Um, you know, so just given what we've seen with DeMar Hamlin uh, and the response to that over the last couple of weeks, the, the scary situation that that was, um, it's great that Keontae Johnson is back playing and not only playing, but at a high level, uh, hope the same for someone like Lamar Hamlin. 
I love it. Love the shout out. Keontae Johnson has been wonderful. Yeah, last week when you were absent, we did talk about Jerome Tang and Marquise Noel. But of course, Keontae Johnson, so great to see him back playing at a high level. Shark, good things. Let me ask you something. If I was going to tell you I was going to pick a team from the state of Utah, where would your mind go first? Perhaps the College Utah, University of Utah, Utah University, whatever that is. Perhaps <laughs> Utah State, maybe BYU, maybe Southern Utah, maybe even Utah Tech. But I'm not going to any of those Utahs. My friend, I am going to Utah Valley in the whack. They are 5-1, and 14-5 on the year. You know who leads the country in blocks, my friend? Utah Valley. They get six a game, mainly from this guy, Aziz Bondiago from Senegal. He averages a double-double, 12, 10, and three blocks per game, seven-footer. These guys are tough. They played on the road. Their wins at BYU, they beat that Utah team. At Oregon, they beat Dana Altman. Their losses at Wake Forest, good squad. At Boise State, those are potentially two tournament teams. At Utah State. Maybe a third tournament team. That was one of my good things from a month ago. And they just lost to Seattle, who happens to lead the WAC right now. I like Utah Valley. And I'll tell you one other thing. You know who coaches that team? Mark Madsen, the Mark dancer. Mark Madsen, the dancer. He's got something brewing over wherever the hell Utah Valley is, probably in some valley in Utah. But I like this team. I, I mentioned uh, Bondiago. They have a Justin Harmon, Trey Woodbury dishing out assists. Keep your eye on this team when you're going into the Jerome. They, they're a top 100 Ken Palm team. They're surrounded by the likes of LSU. Pay attention to this stuff. This is my good thing. Start buying into it now. They're in Orem, Utah, by the way. And Mark Matson is certainly someone that I have DM'd in the past to try and get on the program. I tried keeping it a little light. I was like, and of course, we got to talk about your uh, Lakers title dance. Crying emoji, crying laughing emoji. I don't know if he necessarily appreciated that coming from a stranger. But it should also be noted, Utah Valley, uh, we look at a team like Northwestern doing great things without Pete Nance and, and Ryan Young that have transferred out. Utah Valley lost a big name who just made his debut for Texas Tech, Fardaz Amek. I'm probably butchering that name, but he was awesome at Utah Valley. I think that's where we, we first heard about him last year. It's important to note for all the geography people out there that Every school in Utah is essentially in Salt Lake City, except for Southern Utah. Orem is Provo. Like Ogden is Salt Lake City. Every one of those schools. Like you take the same exit to Utah oh, Valley as, as you do to get to P BYU's stadium. Yeah, they're I all on the same. They're you. all on I-15. Well, get why out, am get I the guy, why am I the guy picking all the Utah schools for good things? This is my second Utah school. So, you're, no, that's your part me. of the country, all right? I don't Utah, find you. Utah's not my part of the country. I just drive. I've been It's places, the West Coast. Okay? I give you the West Coast. Borders. It borders the state that you live in, so I, I kind of have to side with the shark here. Okay. Uh, Sorry. My bad. My bad. I got I I, I-15. Shout out, shout, shout out I-15. That's We need to get shark a shirt, the I-15 something, because all his schools he picks are on I-15. Utah so. Valley, Utah State. I'm backing them. Let's go, boys. Well, here's an additional good thing for representing Utah. I think I'm going to be subjected to watch the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City uh, Utah finale. Me too. Here, here, here this week. Hold uh, on, I'm interrupting. I'm interrupting you. You know they're shooting the first uh, series, uh, first season of um, Real Housewives of Scottsdale right now. I'm surprised. Can't, they didn't believe, start can't off believe I didn't get asked to be on this program, but that's a whole other story. Continue I, on. Tell Danielle to to get with it. But Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, I know. I'm going to have to be watching that finale. That's actually pretty good. That's one of the Bravo shows that is in my repertoire that I might pay a little bit of attention to. We got that below deck Southern charm. Family karma is number one. Watch family karma. Indian representation certainly matters. Okay. I'm getting way off topic here. Let me get on out of here with my good thing. It is Sienna shark. You asked me uh, what to identify the, the good thing in Utah at the beginning of years. Let me tell you this. Let me confirm with you. What do we always do when we can? Brag? Did I get that right? Brag when that's you right. can? Yes, you did. Good. Sienna, that's what I'm doing for you. They're 12 and 6. Uh, 6 and 1 in conference. They're probably not going to be, be anything here in a week or two. But for right now, in this moment, all right, I love what Sienna's doing. They're sitting atop the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference. Like I said, it's 6, at one, six and 1. Javion McCollum, Jackson Stormo, all-time name, and Andrew Playtech are all averaging double figures. Secondary question class. Do you guys remember the name Andrew Playtech? Yes, no, maybe so. Mm. Former Carolina guard. 
He got minutes. I think it was like Roy's last year or second to last year. Andrew Playtech was at North Carolina. So he's kind of emerging as a Van Wilder guy, but those three guys are averaging double figures. And so here's where I'm kind of going to rein it back just a little bit. They still have to play Iona twice, but Iona has been, been susceptible to getting picked off earlier this year. They've actually have suffered a couple blowout losses. So they still have to play Iona twice to Siena. They're not ranked very high in Ken Palm or, or uh, Bart Torvik. I think they're hovering around 161 or 163. Uh, and one of their losses actually is against Georgetown, which is remarkably troubling. What a what a performance the Hoyas are putting on this season. I can't remember the last time they won a Big East regular season game. But for now, we're going to celebrate Siena and the Saints. I'm happy for you. That's what this this uh, segment's all about, the little guys. So, Siena, great work. Hat tip to you. We're going to get on out of here, though, folks. Uh, like I said, excited to be part of Belly Up Media. We're going to be moving now to two episodes per week. We will catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.